Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to the January 2021 CTSS quiz. It takes me a few times to get it right to say January 2021. It's amazing, and hopefully 2021 will be a better year than 2020. When we started 2020, we didn't know anything about COVID, and hopefully when we finish 2021, it will be a distant memory. Nevertheless, let's get started. I have 10 terrific cases for you. The first case, this patient with a mediastinal mass was an incidental finding, and the question is, what is the best diagnosis? When you look carefully, what you see is a mass in the subcarinal lesion. It's well-defined, and it appears to be somewhat water density, though maybe a bit higher than a typical cyst. It, there's no evidence of hyaluretinopathy. It's a bit older patient. There's coronary artery disease, particularly the LAD. It's a great location. It's subcarinal. There aren't all that many things that occur subcarinal. Without looking at the answers, you could think about things like adenopathy, but only in the subcarinal would be somewhat unusual, and this is kind of too low density. You can think about metastatic germ cell tumor, but again, just to the subcarinal region is just not going to cut it. What occurs in the subcarinal region? Well, now you look carefully at the differential here. Lymphoma, but again, solid, usually more than just that area. Metastatic renal, they're usually vascular, not cystic looking. This is not the pericardium, so it's not a pericardial cyst. So the best answer indeed is a bronchogenic cyst. Classic location, number one location for a bronchogenic cyst, subcarinal region. Second most common region is the paratracheal zone on the right. Remember, bronchogenic cysts are not always water density, so it's a very important diagnosis because in most cases like this one, it's an incidental finding and nothing needs to be done. In this case, the question is, what's the least likely diagnosis? Now, I always find that to be a challenge. What's the least likely diagnosis? Because it kind of makes you think a little bit differently. Well, what do I see here? I see a mass sitting in the right ventricle. It's hypodense. You can see it on the arterial and venous phase. It's lobulated and irregular. This is going to be a tumor. This is not simply a clot. It's not a great location for clot anyway. That's more likely right atrium, particularly in a patient with a prior catheter in place, maybe left atrium, but not this region, plus the lobulations. This is going to be a tumor. So really the question is, is this a tumor from the lumen like a myxoma? Not a great location for myxoma. Or is it something arising from the wall of the heart or maybe even the pericardium and then growing into the heart? Things that occur by the right ventricle or right atrium are things like angiosarcomas, for example. So let's look at the choices. Cardiac angiosarcoma is a probably good choice. You know, it has um, that appearance, the location. It could be lymphoma. Lymphoma can involve cardiac chambers. It can extend into the pericardium. It could go beyond the heart and involve nodes or be in locations like the abdomen. Remember, cardiac lymphoma more common in HIV or immunosuppressed patients. So that's a possibility. Metastasis to the heart. Metastases are about 40 times more common than primary tumors. Renal cells are usually vascular, but they don't need to be. But that's a good possibility. And the last thought is atrial myxoma. Now, myxomas are tumors that occur in the heart, of course, most common in the left atrium, second most common right atrium. 
but this is the patient's right ventricle. It's rare to get a myxoma, and myxomas are kind of smooth borders. They can be smaller, they can be larger. So truthfully, the least likely diagnosis in this case to me is an atrial myxoma. So that's the answer. In this case, the least likely diagnosis is, and you can see I've given you four really good possibilities. When we look at the scans, we really see a large mass arising in the region of the right adrenal. It's cystic and solid. It's displacing the right kidney downward. This also makes the point that how do I know it's not the liver, but I didn't give you any liver choices. But when you look at the epicenter and how it displaces the kidney, that makes it adrenal. And so you got to think to yourself, what is this? Well, this is a large adrenal mass. It's worrisome because of solid and cystic. Now, most pheos are hypervascular, but it could be a pheo. Metastatic melanoma, usually soft tissue masses, but it could be they're large. And a primary adrenal carcinoma is a good possibility, just the way the lesion looks. An adenoma, that's a big adenoma. We sometimes see large adenomas, but they're usually low density, homogeneous. This is worrisome. This ended up being a atypical pheochromocytoma, but the least likely diagnosis is adrenal adenoma. The most likely diagnosis in this 30-year-old female with an adrenal lesion is, well, look at the choices, then let's think about the lesion. There's a mass in the right adrenal. The mass has neovascularity present. So based on the vascularity, I'm concerned about malignancy. I'm surely not thinking of an adenoma. I'm not going to be thinking about a cyst. I'm thinking, could this be a primary adrenal carcinoma? Potentially, it could be metastatic. That's always a good thought. When you look at the choices, pheos, it's a good choice. You know, vascular, though usually more hypervascular. Metastatic lung cancer can be unilateral, can be bilateral, can be small, can be large. Usually it's not so vascular. When I see a mass in a 30-ish-year-old female that's large, that has neovascularity, to me, you got to prove it's not an adrenal carcinoma. Primary adrenal carcinomas can be incidental findings in 15% of cases, but it's a great low appearance and it's a great age, great sex for patients having a primary adrenal carcinoma, which indeed was the case in this scenario. Now, this patient had a GI bleed, so I'm asking you, what is the best diagnosis? Now, when you think about it, GI bleeding, we always think about CT being excellent below the ligament of trites, but in the upper abdomen, it's also excellent. So in this case, what do I see? I see a mass that appears to be submucosal. The mass in the one centimeter range is the only mass. I don't see anything in the liver. I don't see anything in the spleen. And I'm thinking it's hypervascular. So what things could I think about? Just tumors can be vascular, but you know, they're usually not so vascular. And it's kind of small for a gist that would be symptomatic. Lymphoma is typically hypovascular. Gastric polyps are a consideration, but they're more pedunculated coming into the lumen. This is submucosal. This is a wonderful example for glomus tumor. I see them very infrequently. Their presentation often indeed is GI bleeding, but submucosal location, excellent diagnosis. Now in this case, 
I'm asking you what's the best diagnosis. And this is one of those cases that can be challenging. When you look at the images, you see a mass that at first looks like it's coming off the body of the pancreas. In fact, this patient initially was referred to us as a pancreatic mass. And if you look at it, perhaps it's coming off the body of the pancreas. Now, masses that come off the pancreas, I usually think about lymphopathelial cysts, which this surely isn't. When you go from axial to coronal, you get the feeling that perhaps it's not just abutting the stomach, but it's coming off the stomach. It's interesting because with GIST tumors, they're exophytic. Occasionally, they grow intraluminal. Most of the time, it's extraluminal. And it can be very challenging because when you have a large mass, you don't know if it's pancreas. You don't know if it's adrenal. This is not a great location for adrenal, obviously. Sometimes there's better locations. Is this adenopathy you might think about? But when you look at the choices, it's not a pancreatic cancer, and it's not an abscess, and it's not lymphoma. It's classic for just tumor. I've shown some of these in the past. There are a number of them on CT as us. You got to really understand that just tumors, particularly when they're exophytic, which is 85% of them, really are somewhat challenging. It's always a challenge to me when they get really large, and tumors that get really large, is it something abutting the stomach or coming from the stomach? Sometimes you see necrosis, sometimes you see ulceration, but this was an excellent example of a gastric gist tumor. Now, in this case, I ask you, what's the most likely diagnosis? Well, if you look carefully at the images, what you see is a vascular lesion that's near the head of the pancreas. And in fact, when you look quickly, you say, aha, this is a neuroendocrine tumor of the pancreas. But then you start looking at the epicenter, and it's really off the duodenum. Then you start saying to yourself, vascular lesion off the duodenum, what could it be? Well, lymphomas can occur there, but they're typically infiltrating and not hypervascular. Carcinoid tumors can surely occur in the second portion of the duodenum, or even first portion, or even third portion, but they're typically intraluminal. Melanoma can metastasize, but they're usually hypovascular. GIST tumors are classic. Hypervascular lesions, duodenum's a wonderful location. They often present with GI bleeding. It's always interesting how the smaller GIST tumors can bleed. The larger GIST tumors, be it small bowel or stomach, typically do not cause GI bleeding. So it's typically not going to be an issue. So in this case, wonderful example of a GIST tumor. This patient had a history of right lower quadrant pain. So what's the best diagnosis? It's interesting, the right lower quadrant truthfully has nothing. The left lower quadrant is the problem. Well, what is that? It looks like a calcified mass. Now, I'm not giving you the rest of the abdomen or it may get a bit simpler perhaps, but when you look hard, that's the shape of a kidney. And if you look at the bones, there's a model appearance to bone, which is a great appearance for renal osteodystrophy. So what you're really looking at is a retained, failed renal transplant with secondary renal osteodystrophy, which is answer number C. It's a great example. I mean, you always worry about retained foreign bodies, things that are dense, that are calcified, or perhaps nodes, but this is not a nodal mass. And this fat necrosis is something you think about, but it doesn't look like this. This is a classic a failed transplant. And again, looking at the bone, recognizing the renal osteodystrophy should make your job even easier. 
The question in this case is, what's the best diagnosis? And I've given you four very common entities, and often this is a case you deal with in practice. There's a large cystic lesion, complex cystic with calcifications in the patient's liver. Now, you could say, well, what about hydatid cysts when you look at it? That's not one of the choices, but usually those cysts are better defined and there's rim-like calcification in three quarters of the cases. When you look at this case, you say, what is it that gives me multiple cystic lesions? This is not polycystic liver disease because it would involve the whole liver. You don't get a segmental polycystic liver disease. Cholangiocarcinoma can be cystic, but there's usually rim enhancement. Lymphoma is typically more solid and infiltrating. Melanoma can cause all sorts of appearances, but not so many cystic lesions in one place. This is a classic appearance of a cystadenocarcinoma. Now remember in the old days, biliary cystadenomas versus biliary cystadenocarcinomas. It's always a challenge to make the diagnosis. You'll be looking for mural nodules. These days, all of the lesions are considered malignant, so they all will be resected. This is a wonderful example of a cystadenocarcinoma. In this case, 20-ish year old with right lower quadrant pain, what's the best diagnosis? Now, right lower quadrant pain is a very common diagnosis. We think of anything without looking at the images from appendicitis to diverticulitis to cecal cancer, but then think of all things, whether it's focused on the cecum or the ileum or extra, extra colonic findings, whether it's the ovary, whether it's the kidney. So there's lots of possibilities. And I've given you four excellent choices here. And when you start looking, I'm only showing you the upper abdomen. So what is it that we see here? Well, this finding, maybe it's incidental or maybe it's important. There are multiple splenic lesions. Okay, that's very straightforward. I don't see any liver lesions. Well, if this was lymphoma, perhaps, you might say, well, maybe it's lymphoma. Maybe the patient has something in the right lower quadrant. But this is an incidental part of the story. So what could it be? Well, when you have incidental liver findings or incidental splenic findings, you obviously always think about malignancy. And so you always think about lymphoma. The patient will be much sicker and lymphoma of the spleen usually has some more solid masses, not so many small masses. TB is rarer, it's a thought. Mononucleosis, big spleen, somewhat cystic. The classic thing Incidental finding, multiple splenic lesions, often multiple splenic and liver lesions, is sarcoidosis. This was an example of sarcoidosis, a wonderful case. So that takes me to the very end. Ten cases. I hope you got them all right. More importantly, I hope you learned something. And with that, we'll see you next time. Have a great day. If you liked what you heard here today, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit our website ctss.com for lectures, quizzes, pearls, and more. Also, be sure to check out our apps that are available for free on the Apple Store. All links are in the description box below.